Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The president, the president's being impeached. We still don't have a trade deal. The yield curve's flattening again. The tariffs are starting to hurt earnings. As we saw with the shockingly bad numbers from Dollar Tree. And although it's been said before, we got new old news, I guess, that the drug companies in the opioid business are facing a criminal probe. All of which would have at one time virtually trashed this market. Instead, the darn thing just won't quit. Dow gained 55 points. That's a big climb, 0.22%. NASDAQ advanced, well, 0.18%, with all three closing at record levels. So we have to ask ourselves, what the heck is going on here? So you know what I'm going to do? In honor of these records, I'm going to run down all the reasons why this rally keeps on trucking. First, while indeed, discounter Dollar Tree had some problems with the tariffs. The big guys in retail are doing just fine. Walmart, Target, Amazon, Costco simply haven't felt the pain. The tariffs are absolutely a problem for many chains. But the sky is falling narrative hasn't really played out. Inflation remains subdued. When you consider that just about everybody is predicting the trade war would devastate all retail, Things are indeed going much, much better than expected. Number two, the enterprise is very soft, but far fewer companies are levered to the enterprise, meaning company sales, than you might think. Today, Hewlett Packard Enterprise told a tale of woe, similar to what we heard from Cisco, and its stock indeed did get poleaxed by 8.48%. There are just too many executives who have to sign off on deals as companies grow more conservative because who knows how much they should budget for in 2022. 2020, we don't even know what the tariffs are going to be. Still, companies don't want to make a mistake, so they are holding out for a more certain environment to buy big capital products. However, individuals are still flush, and they're spending fortunes on hardware, as we saw from Best Buy this morning, with the stock that jumped almost 10% on a terrific quarter. Last week, Cole said that women's apparel is weak, but Dick's Sporting Goods told a much more positive story about the same kind of apparel, sending its stock up an astounding 18.62%. All right, you got some winners and some losers, uh, not just losers. And the winners are bigger and more prevalent than the losers. And that's why you have a rally. Third, maybe a trade deal is indeed in the offing. The talks have gotten a new lease on life ever since China said it would start respecting American intellectual property. Now, I very much doubt their sincerity. Talk is cheap. Enforcing IP law is expensive. But President Trump can declare a victory here and say he's gotten the Chinese to change the ways. If we get a phase one trade deal, that would give the banks and, by the way, casino companies a lot of opportunities. Now, the market certainly senses that something has changed here. And money managers don't want to be caught on the wrong side of the trade going into Thanksgiving weekend. Remember, this is like when you make a turkey. Instead of worrying about whether they're too long, they're afraid of being too lean. 
uh, or uh, worse, being short if Trump announced a big trade deal. Do you really want to short a bank knowing that the Chinese might be willing to let it do business over there without the joint venture partner? You want to short American Express, MasterCard, Visa, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs? I know I wouldn't. It's just too dangerous if they're the ones who end up getting Chinese franchises. Fourth, when a company reports an upside surprise, its stock is insanely rewarded. This morning, Burlington Stores, one of my favorite places to shop, posted a healthy beat and raise quarter. Initially, its stock actually dropped on the news, stupidly. But then it caught fire. Do you know what ended up rallying 8.5%? Sure, the companies that missed, like Dollar Tree, saw their stocks get slaughtered. Same thing happened to Palo Alto Networks on a slightly weaker forecast for its core product. Stock plummeted 12%. But what matters is that there are far fewer misses than hits. When you get stocks like Best Buy and Exporting Goods beating expectations, it doesn't seem to matter if those expectations have already been lowered, which was the case. Their stocks rocket higher anyway. Fifth. Oh, impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. Impeachment is going just as I told you it would. When Clinton was impeached, it turned out to be an incredible buying opportunity. Same thing's happening with Trump. We've known all along that these proceedings would only be stillborn. You'd need to get 20 Republicans in the Senate to vote against the president. And so far, not a single one, not one, has come out against him. Rightly or wrongly, that's simply not on the table. And the market senses the impotence of the Democratic efforts. Six. When it comes to the de- when it comes to Democratic primaries, the hardliners keep getting beaten up to the point where I, 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 I'm actually thinking they're going to regret taking such extreme positions. The seminal moment when Senator Warren said she was putting her plans for single payer health care on hold until the third year of her administration, which basically means never because presidents tend to accomplish the most in the first two years in office. That ignited the whole health care cohort. Eh, what an astounding run it's had. If you looked at these things, I mean, I'm glad I told you to buy some Centene, Michael Nidorf. Or some United Health. Woo! Seventh. The flow of new IPOs has slowed to a trickle, allowing the market to catch its breath. I think the collapse of WeWork was perhaps the single best thing that has happened to this market in ages because it made the underwriters, sloppy as they were, gun-shy about new deals. Suddenly, they actually are willing to do some due diligence again, uh, lest they make themselves look like idiots. Without all the new supply from IPOs, the buybacks from corporate buybacks, they can finally work their magic, sopping up any excess uh, selling, allowing stocks to rally. All year I've been telling you that IPOs were the biggest threat to the bull market. So it makes sense that once they stop, we can go higher. Eighth, mergers were supposed to be on hold, right? I mean, so much uncertainty. Uh, but, but you know what? Instead, we've seen deal after deal across a host of sectors. Charles Schwab and T- TD Ameritrade, that made so much sense that I bet we'll see a lot more mergers in the space. The brokers are ripe for consolidation. There are way too many biotechs, aren't they? I mean, every time you hit up one, every morning I get the research, it's like, well, hold on, what is this one? New biotech enterprises. I mean, it's unbelievable. We got way too many of these boys. And when they get taken over to gigantic premiums, the stocks of the buyers like Novartis, NVS, they actually go up. What the heck? Ninth, on a seasonal basis, we're already made it through the worst part of the year. With September, October, and now November put to bed, money managers are much less likely to want to blow out stocks. If anything, it'll be a trial to keep them on what we call the sheets. For hedge fund managers, the biggest risk here might be not having enough stock to show your clients that you were bullish and therefore smart. Finally, number 10, employment remains incredibly strong. I mean, like lights out strong. It's easy to find a job in this country. 
as anyone who listened to the Dollar Tree conference call found out, as they're having a hard time finding workers to fill their distribution centers. These are admittedly unskilled, poorly paid jobs, but they're entry-level positions that would be easy to fill in a weaker labor market. Now, the usual caveats apply. The president could always hit us with an earned tweet that clobbers the stock market, but have you noticed he's gotten much better at that of late? The Chinese government tends to be an unreliable negotiating partner. There could be another disappointing quarterly report or two, although today marks the end of the earnings season with another not starting up until January. Bottom line, no, the stock market hasn't gone crazy. It's just that there's still a lot more good than bad in this environment. That's why I keep thinking that we can climb through the end of the year with occasional hiccups that could give those still on the sidelines one more chance to do some buying. Michael in New York. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michael. I'd like, to, I'd like to ask your opinion on Teva Pharmaceutical long-term considering the opioid investigation that hit today, dropping the stock about 8%. I don't really have a lot good to say about Teva. There are so many unbelievable pharmaceutical companies to choose from right now, so many good ones, that I think you should just, I mean, why don't you go buy some AbbVie? That would be better. I saw Merck on the move today. Hey, why don't we go to Matt and my daughter's old home state of Oregon? Matt! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. i got a question on Roku in my growth stock portfolio. Right. My daughter-in-law got me involved in the stock this spring and worked out extremely well. Uh, then this fall with the so-called value rotation, uh, got uh, all of these stocks knocked down. So I added, to, I added to it in here. It maintained a 50% revenue growth, which is unbelievable. And hardware is on virtually, you know, the majority of TV brands. Right. I know there's a secondary coming, and the shorts seem to be feeding media stories almost every week. But I'm up about 25% at in the stock, about 6% from the high. What do you think? Stick well, let's not be greedy. This stock is what, remember. Out. This stock is up remarkable. It's up a remarkable amount. Now, the one thing I would tell you about Roku is every time there's good news about any streaming service like that of Disney this morning, Roku catches fire. So you do need to have a constant stream of good news about streaming services to keep this one going. And I don't know who's going to give that to us next. So I suggest maybe you trim a little and then maybe you can buy it back later if you want to be that kind of trader. Tyler in Rhode Island. Tyler. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing well. I love the show. Booyah. Oh, I'm glad you like the show. A lot of people have been liking the show. You went to Colorado. They liked it in San Francisco. Hey, like San Francisco, they like, uh, you know, they like Heather Gaines. They're talking about they like Katie Spencer. They like uh, Regina Gill. Whole staff is loved out there. So go ahead. How can I help? All right. Well, uh, my question is with Walgreens Booth Alliance, WBA. Yeah. I, uh, I recently sold a stake in CVS with a nice gain. And I bought Walgreens on the rumor of them going private. I'm wondering if you think this private deal will go through. Well, I uh, think that I they I the think that it's a very expensive deal to go private. I do think the stock has come down a lot. It was off very badly today. It yields three percent. It's down twelve percent for the year. I don't think it's a mistake to buy here, but you know I like CBS for my travel trust, but you can follow along at actionalertsplus.com club. Join the club, learn. All right. Sure, there's a possibility for the market to decline. I mean, who knows? I mean, hey, listen, the Chinese could pull the rug out from underneath us. But you know what? The reasons we're rallying are pretty strong. And here they are, all 10 of them. You can write them down. 
And I think that's what we're going to continue to see. Hey, by the way, we'll make money tonight. As this shiny asset investors turn in, uh, to in times of turmoil, signal it's time to go for the gold. I've got this with the CEO of Agnico Eagle Mines on the 25th anniversary of them being listed on the big board. Then it's a company bringing a whole new generation of traders in the field. But how is it disrupting your potential investments? I'm eyeing Robinhood men in stocks. And in 2019, we have the shortest possible holiday shopping season. So what does that mean? Less days mean for my wife's favorite Zappos. Other than Tesla. Yes, she wants a Tesla. Okay, Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. Uh, I'm talking with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. the stock market seemingly hitting new highs on an almost daily basis, as we forget about the overblown worries that held us back over the summer. Not everyone's a winner. The price of gold has fallen from over $1,550 in September to $1,462 today because gold thrives in times of economic uncertainty and things seem a little less certain today, although, as you know from the top, there's plenty to worry about. I think the pullback, though, makes sense. As the averages go higher, so does the need to own some gold as a kind of uh, insurance policy against anything going wrong. And that's why I like Agnico Eagle Mines. That's a well-run gold miner that operates in relatively safe locations. Canada, Finland, northern Mexico, making it a low-risk producer. Not necessarily lowest cost, but low risk. When the market was getting clobbered earlier in the year, the stock soared to the point where it's still up 44% for 2019, even as it's pulled back 10% from its late August highs. So let's check in with the bankable Sean Boyd, the vice chairman and CEO of Agnico Eagle Mines, to get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Boyd, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to be here, Jim. Okay, Sean, you're a no-nonsense guy. You're uh, uh, really rather amazing. Revenue growth up 30%. Uh, strong top and bottom line beat when you reported at the end of uh, last month. What is, what is making this happen? Because I know you spent a lot of money getting this thing right, and it's all coming to fruition now. Yeah, we made some major investments in the pipeline, uh, even during times when the gold price was much lower than it is today. So our timing was perfect, and we're now starting to see the benefits of that. We can see steady growth in production over the next several years as we begin to ramp up uh, the new mines that uh, came into production this year in Nunavut. The, uh, some of the costs of these mines are rather extraordinarily low, given uh, gold at, at $1,400. Uh, can you tell me about this La Ronde uh, and La Ronde Zone 5? I mean, you got La Ronde's them is $454. How is that possible? Well, La Ronde's been producing since uh, 1988. And it just so happens we're mining actually three kilometers below surface. The best grades in the history of that deposit are actually at three kilometers and below. So we're starting to see the benefits of opening up that new area 
giving us access to that higher grade material, that lowers our unit costs at Laurent. So that's some of the lowest costs we've seen in 30 years there. Is that unusual? It's unusual, but it's a large system. Uh, this deposit has zinc, it has silver, it has copper. It's what's known as a polymetallic deposit. These tend to be fairly big. Uh, there's still 10 plus years of mine life there and we're still finding more. We could go deeper. We're planning actually to go to 3.5 kilometers below surface. We'd like to go down there with you. I'm looking at my executive producer. Would you ever let us go down? Yep, might as well do a show there at some point. Why don't we go next year? I would love to. Now, uh, you spent $397 million on Amarok, uh, a fantastic gold mine. Why does it cost so much money to, to do a gold mine? Well, that mine is in none of it. There's literally no infrastructure. Uh, we had to build the roads. We're, lar- we're actually the largest land or road owner in Nunavut. We have over 200 kilometers of roads. So you're putting in roads, uh, you're building power facilities, uh, you're, you're bringing equipment. It's expensive. But the good thing about that is we're able to leverage off on an existing processing facility. We shim- simply just truck the ore uh, down the road. So that kept the capital down and we can see a lot of production coming out of that. That's a big part of our growth going forward. Uh, is, when you truck like that, is that something you can do uh, autonomously? Um, ultimately you can. Right now, um, given the technology, we're still using 150 ton haul trucks with a driver, but ultimately uh, we hope to do that uh, autonomously. Um, on this project, I think people have to understand that it's not just like you turn things on. I, there's always something when I do the gold socks, and I happen to love, you know I love the gold socks, where there's a new thing that goes wrong. Dewatering? Uh, there's a lot of water. There's a lot of lakes there. And it was just a matter of getting that mine up and running and starting it at the same time we had the spring thaw. It's actually not spring, it's June. And we had excessive rain during that period. So it's simply pumping out the area that we we're going to build the open pit. So that's done now, and now we're just ramping up the mining rate. All right, you must have great uh, confidence because you're such a conservative person, yet you gave us a pretty big boost in the dividend for your company historically. Well, we love to pay a dividend. We paid one for 36 years, which is not easy to do in the gold mining space. So we're proud of that track record. And the way we've positioned it, uh, clearly it depends on the gold price, but we're certainly positioned to hopefully do better than the current level of 70 cents per share. All right, so Sean, are you able to uh, turn it off and turn it on? For instance, Meadow Bank, uh, here you got total cash costs of uh, over $1,000. Now, that seems dicey to me with gold at 1400 but as long as you've got a $40 margin, just keep it open? Well, that one is just the processing facility, so we've just finished mining out the deposits that are close to the Meadow Bank processing facility. Amarook essentially gets shipped in to the Meadow Bank processing facility, so it's just a transition from the deposits near uh, Meadow Bank to now the Amarook deposit. So in the last few months of that mine, costs are a bit higher. Now, so a lot of the gold uh, miners are really challenged to find gold. Some of them have to make kind of difficult acquisitions, uh, mergers, because they're out running out of gold. Uh, is it fair to say that in your many years in the business that this is about the last, the hardest yet to find good quality gold in safe areas? Absolutely, and I think that bolsters the case for gold going forward. Still very strong demand coming out of central banks, uh, coming out of regions like China and India. It's getting much tougher to grow reserves. It's getting much tougher to grow production. Not just grow production, but 
grow it in a way that actually improves the underlying quality of the business. It's a lot tougher now than it was 10 or 15 years ago. We just celebrated today our 25th anniversary on the New York Stock Exchange. A lot tougher back in 1994 than it is today. And I think that bodes well for even if gold's at 2,000, we're not going to see a substantial amount of new mine supply because it's just so difficult. One last question. Uh, I know that gold mining is uh, often uses chemicals that, that, that uh, countries don't like, that uh, neighboring uh, residents don't like. Is it become ecologically more tough to, uh, to dig for gold than ever before? Um, it is, but that's more just going through the process of meeting all of the environmental regulations, but mostly permitting. So that's another thing which uh, limits supply. The lead time to build these assets are a lot longer. The capital required to build them a lot larger. Uh, that just makes it more difficult. But these deposits that are being found now, the new ones, are in parts of the world which lack infrastructure, are in parts of the world which countries may not want you there. So that's why it's also getting more challenging to find deposits. That's why we love Nunavut. It's a place where the locals want mining and there's unlimited potential because there's not many people there and that's an area as we said before it's three and a half times the size of france we're the largest player there the largest uh, owner of land and the biggest producer so we think there's a big future there well well congratulations on your 25 years on the big board and also on that remarkable quarter good to see you sir thank you very much jim Okay, that's Sean Boyd, the CEO and Vice Chairman of Agnico Equal Mines. If you are worried, if you are concerned about the world, you can go into cash, you can go into a cave, or you can buy Agnico Equal Mines. We have money back after the break. When I think about the arc of what drove TD Ameritrade into the arms of Charles Schwab, I keep coming back to this disruptive force of Robin Hood. Totally online broker with a bare-bones presence where you trade for free. Something that very much appeals to frugal millennials who hate paying for anything on the Internet. The fact that Robinhood was able to raise an astounding $912 million, the last tranche received at the end of October, at a $7.6 billion valuation told you that the writing was on the wall for this industry. To put that in perspective, E-Trade, which was one of the first electronic brokers, uh, and it's got close to $4 in earnings power, only has a $10 billion valuation. Of course, at this point, Robinhood may have nearly as many accounts as E-Trade. We don't know. The exact numbers are hard to come by. What does it say, though? What does it say about valuations in the online brokerage space? It could mean that the private market is simply insane. (laughs) Hey, why not? How can a money-losing alpha with roughly the same number of accounts be worth almost as much as a highly profitable company that does the same thing? It seems especially stupefied when you consider that E-Trade just reported an outstanding quarter last month, where management laid out a very solid plan for this new commission for year. Hard to believe that E-Trade's legacy business is truly a negative, isn't it? Which brings us to the big question. Why are these venture capital investors paying so much for Robinhood? I think they must love the age of the company's customers. That's what it is, not their current account balances. Just like the E-Trade of Europe, Robinhood has brought a whole new generation of investors into the market. The iPhone Tony Millennials, who actually like owning individual stocks. Now, I know the conventional wisdom on Wall Street says that you're an idiot if you take the risk of buying individual stocks. We're constantly told you're a dope if you put your money in anything other than an index fund. Regular viewers know I love index funds, love, love, love. But they've never gone, they're not going to get you rich in a relatively short time like individual stocks may, can. That's why if you have the time and inclination, it's worth putting some money into individual stocks aside next to the index funds. 
Robinhood investors get it, just like their predecessors who flocked to E-Trade in the 80s and 90s. The one thing Robinhood doesn't get you, they don't offer fractional share trading, which is a shame. But one of the rivals, SoFi, does. Last week, we had the CEO of SoFi on, Anthony Noto, and he gave us tremendous insight into how millennials prefer to invest. Oh, yeah, they like ETFs. But they're truly partial to single-digit stocks. They're born speculators, which is exactly what I tell uh, people to do when they're still young enough to make any potential losses back. According to Noto, millennials were drawn to the likes of Ford and GE, low-dollar stocks, until recently when SoFi began offering a brilliant idea, fractional shares. Thanks to fractional trading, the number one stock is now Amazon. They're buying at dollars worth of Amazon to start a position. I say, Great! What else are they buying? Well, of course, they like the rest of the FANG cohort. But while this is anecdotal, they're also drawn to Tesla, who isn't even my wife, Lisa, my kids want one, and Beyond Meat, both of which fit the millennial zeitgeist. And yes, I have changed my tune on the stock of Tesla. The products are too good. They could easily raise a couple billion dollars tomorrow if they needed it. And even after you threw a rock past the window, they still got 200000 on that uh, pickup. Enough. I mean, it's just got too many things going for it. Millennials like the cannabis stocks, although I can't say that's the case Still, because they've gone up in smoke. What matters, though, is that Robinhood's zero commissions model has finally caught the fancy of a whole new generation of investors. And they did it without spending much on advertising at all. Now that this private company raised almost a billion dollars, it's able to blow out its business model, scale it, as they say. And as we know from the new commercials, they seem like they're everywhere. Because of a newfound love for stocks by millennials, the brokerage landscape will never be the same. Just like it was when E-Trade got its start 37 years ago. Stefano in New York. Stefano. Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? We've been watching your show, me and my father, since I was a kid, and I just want to say thank you. It's something that really brings us together. I am thrilled. That's what I love. I love to hear that. Thank you. How can I help you? I have a question about PayPal's acquisition for Honey. They recently bought this company for $4 billion. I wanted to know... What was the thesis behind the Oh, my God, they want to get upstream. They want to just do more than payments. This is a terrific discount. I asked your kids. I asked mine or asked you. Actually, maybe you use it. I have to tell you, I think it was brilliant. I want Jan, Dan Schulman to come on the show, and I will sing the praise of this since I found, I found out that everybody uses it. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann. Jim, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I saw an article in the paper on Sunday that the Fed is considering getting into the payment space with Fed now. Do you think that's possible, and how would that affect the stock like MasterCard? I kind of missed that question. It sounds like, what oh. do I think of MasterCard? Well, my travel trust yeah. owns it. I think the world of it, it doesn't really matter about the reserve payment. What matters is, is that it's growing like a weed, and it's just a secular force of paper into plastic, which still works. Investing and trading have caught the fancy of a new generation of investors, despite what the graveyard said, that they should only own index funds. The brokerage landscape will never be the same. Much more may have money yet. Black Friday just days away. Looking for deals in the retail space? I'm talking to, hey, remember Zappos? To find out what the private retail can teach us some about public companies. Then, is ugly produce the key to our food waste problem? I'm going to talk to one company that says they seem to think so. And all your calls, Robin Fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Mojo per share. I think David. people get that. That's Mojo for sure. Yeah, yeah. We, that's an important metric we follow closely here. MPS. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
Right now, I think we're in the middle of a second e-commerce revolution. The first started about 20 years ago when it was enough to simply be able to buy things online. But the current revolution is all about taking that to the next level with data mining and analytics allowing digital retailers to create an incredible sense of personalization. That's why tonight I want to check in with a company that's being doing it's doing this for years. It's a company called Zappos, the online shoe store uh, that became a subsidiary of Amazon in 2009. This is one of the most highly visible success stories of the dot-com era. And then last month, the company celebrated its two-decade anniversary with the publication of a new book called The Power of Wow! How to Electrify Your Work and Your Life by Putting Service First. It's full of lessons from Zappos executives and employees. As told to Mark D'Agostino of the New York Times, it's a very much fun read. I think these guys have a great, great time at Zappos. And it's a lot of it's because of the new retail order that we find ourselves in. we got to talk with them. So let's go to Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos. Tony, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. All right, first, Tony, uh, congratulations on you built an amazing company. One of the things I think is so funny is we were out at Salesforce last week. There are there's billions of dollars being spent to try to make people to uh, be like your people uh, who are not your people. I want you to talk about oath of employment. Number one, deliver well through service, because it seems like the other guys are all trying to digitize and auto- automate what you do from the heart. Yeah, and uh, actually, we're really focused on uh, number one priority is actually company culture. And our whole belief is that if we get the culture right, then most of the other stuff like delivering great customer service or building a long-term enduring brand or business will just be a natural byproduct of that. And uh, next time you're in Vegas, I definitely recommend coming to take a tour of our offices. We actually offer tours to the public Monday through Fridays. But part of the reason for coming out with the book, The Power of Wow, for people that can't make it to our headquarters. We actually took over the former Las Vegas City Hall and part of the uh, downtown Las Vegas revitalization efforts as well. Well, I find companies with great culture, whether it be uh, Dan Gilbert's companies in Detroit, whether it be Zappos, they do far more than just try to make money. They try to revitalize downtowns. They try to create whole new regimes like holacracy, something you created in 2014. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the media talked a lot about holacracy, but really that's just one technology that we use. And for us, it's really about going from a kind of more typical hierarchical organization to one that's networked and uh, self-organized. So probably the best real-life example of that is cities. You know, the mayor of a city doesn't actually tell its residents what to do or where to live, but cities are actually resilient I think I read somewhere that there's only three days of food supply in Manhattan, but there's actually no centralized food you know, supply coordinator. And the other interesting statistic about cities is that every time the size of a city doubles, innovation of productivity per resident increases by 15%. But you kind of get the opposite effect in companies. Uh, companies, as they get bigger, become more bureaucratic, less innovative per employee. And so our goal at Zappos is to kind of avoid that fate and uh, there's also interesting statistics, like uh, I think the Fortune uh, 500 lists came out in, or in 1955 or something like that, and 89% of those companies no longer exist, are no, not on the list. And so the default future for companies that are in a high-school format is uh, death, essentially. And so we want to basically not have that happen to us. Well, you did have the, what amounted to a minor, oh, but I still say near-death opportunity uh, situation that occurred in, in your great book, which was that you had a mistaken price 
uh, during um, one of the holiday seasons and you lost a million dollars in minutes. And yet you learn from the mistake. Most companies, it would be a firing. There would be just uh, it would be a pivotal negative moment, not at Zappos. Yeah, I, I guess our perspective is as long as we're learning and constantly learning, if, if we make the same mistake multiple times, then we're not learning. And so uh, that would be a bad thing. But uh, anytime it's a new learning, we actually encourage that. And, uh, and if anything, might put employees into uh, even have more responsibility because now they're that much smarter. You know, Tony, why is it that it's revelatory uh, point number seven in, uh, in your book, build a positive team and family spirit. Why, why do companies not foster that? I think with anything like company culture or customer service, it, it all kind of, in my mind, it's all the same thing. It's really the difference between long-term versus short-term uh, optimization and, and thinking. And so, yes, at Zappos, if we wanted to make more money tomorrow or next quarter or even for the next year, we could, in theory, just stop answering phone calls and stop focusing on company culture. And probably in the next year, that would actually increase our profits for the short term. But we've been around for 20 years, and we're not going anywhere. And we also operate independently from Amazon, and we basically treat them as our board of directors. And so that enables us to really take a long-term approach and really uh, care about our employees, our company culture, and the byproduct of all that is... uh, great customer service. Our goal is to have Zappos be about the very best customer service and customer experience. And hopefully 10 years from now, people won't even realize we start out selling shoes online. And we've talked about how one day there could be a Zappos Airlines or a Zappos Hotel that's just about delivering the very best customer service and customer experience. Okay, so away from my wife's incredible orders that she's placed with you so far this year, uh, for a Christmas holiday. How is the Christmas season, given the fact that there are fewer days? And I know you guys have a great read on things. Yeah, so our holiday season uh, really kicks off on Cyber Monday. And so uh, it's a little too early to tell right now. But what we do know from the past is that over time, customers know how fast our shipping is and uh, they can order you know, one day and know that it'll be on their doorstep the very next day. And, and so I think the fewer number of days in the holiday season maybe doesn't affect us as much as it might other online retailers. And then also we encourage our customers, if they're not sure what their size is, they can order two pairs of shoes, two different sizes, try them both on, and then whichever one doesn't fit, send it back to us. Or if, you know, choose 10 different styles and try them all on in the comfort of your living room send back the ones that don't fit, and we pay for the shipping both ways. And so, uh, yes, that's very expensive for us, but again, we really take a long-term approach, and uh, that's what we think will keep our customers shopping with us 20 years from now. That's what's going to get them to one day visit and want to stay at the Zappos Hotel and hopefully fly Zappos Airlines to get there. Uh, that would be fabulous, especially when you've got football coming. So I may have to do that. One last question, Tony. Um, uh, tariffs, uh, short-term thinking, don't worry. Uh, I think for us, we haven't seen the price. Uh, it affect our pricing yet, so uh, too early to, to tell. But um, our belief is that no matter what happens in the U.S., whether it's for footwear or other mm. categories, uh, we really believe in delivering the best possible customer service. And, uh, and what we found is that okay. consumers are 
willing to pay for that and really appreciate that. Excellent. Okay, I want to thank you so much for everything you've accomplished for Las Vegas, for the people of Zappos, for all your customers. That's Tony Shea. He's the CEO of Zappos. And the book is The Power of Wow. They have money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Richard, in Orient, Richard! Thank you. Hello. Richard, you're on. It's Jim. Oh, hi. I'm glad to get to talk to you. I've been a fan of yours since 1980s when you had your article in Time magazine. And, uh, it's been a while. My, my questions about Synopsis. Yeah, we have liked this stock, Design Automated Solutions. It's very good. By the way, I'm going to give you a twofer. I also like Autodesk, which reported this very evening. That's Synopsis and Autodesk. That's a twofer. Let's go to Tim in California. Tim! Hi there, Jim. Tim. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Same. Hey, um, I was curious about Grocery Outlet. It seems like the TG... Um, max of uh, groceries, and I. I like I like grocery outlet very much. I mean, they did that secondary. It's still people like it. I'm trying to find out where that pricing was. Uh, Thirty three seventy five. So you're under a dollar on that one. That may be an opportunity. Let's go to Brad in Texas. Brad. Hey Jim, enjoy your show. Thank you. About three years ago, I got into A R W R. And it did not do well right. in the past week, especially the past two days. It's done very well. I wanted to see what your opinion was on selling, buying, or well, we uh, Ben Stoddard and I talked about that today because we just recommended it again. We had the company on. We've caught like a, a gazoodle here. Um, it's a virtual Zappo. And the way I look at it is, frankly, uh, I think you got to take. We said today we got to take. Recommend that people take a little bit off the table because, man, bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs. Lori in Pennsylvania, Lori. Hi, Mr. Kramer. I just wanted to say happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. So, 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 and oops, also, I sorry. To say I'm thankful for all you teach us. And the Action Alerts Plus Club. Yes! And also, I have to say, go birds, go eagles. I know. It's not over. I know. It's not over. (laughs) We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Anyway, I just want to say my stock is FedEx. I know. FedEx, I got to tell you, I think it's too cheap. Now, it's not going to say go up right now because you got China problems, but I like FedEx. FedEx kind of feels like the Eagles to me, if you know what I mean. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good other. Lightning round! We had a treat when we were out in San Francisco last week. I had a chance to sit down with companies that are trying to find solutions to all sorts of problems. And not just technology problems. Problems I didn't even know we had. Take food waste. Did you know that every year roughly 20 billion pounds of produce goes to waste just because it doesn't look good enough to display on the shelves of most grocery stores? (laughs) There are places in this country where it's a real struggle to find fresh vegetables. Food deserts, I call them. Yet we're throwing tons and tons of stuff away because because it's ugly. kind of people are we? We judge an apple by its cover. (laughs) 
Enter Full Harvest. That's a privately held company that's created a marketplace for these ugly fruits and vegetables. Turns out there are plenty of customers who don't really care what the produce looks like. Just turn, turn it into juice for heaven's sake. I think it's an intriguing story. Unless we get a chance to speak with Christine Mosley, the CEO of a company called, it's private, Full Harvest. I want you to take a look at this. All right, Christine, tell us why you started Full Harvest and what it does. Sure. I spent 15 years within the supply chain and the food industries, okay. and I saw a huge amount of waste and not enough innovation. And I, my last role, I helped scale one of the first green juice companies in the U.S., and I love what they were doing in terms of healthy food and awareness, but I was frustrated that they were selling $13 green juices, and I wanted to figure out a way to make healthy food more affordable. So I moved out to California five years ago to find an opportunity to do so, and that's when I found the shocking food waste statistics that tens of billions of pounds of produce are going to waste at the farm level just because it's not perfectly shaped for grocery stores, and food and beverage companies could definitely use that product. But why couldn't the culture change? Why are we so addicted to great-looking fruit? Over the last few decades, we've been in a time of abundance, so consumers have just had the luxury of being able to be pickier and pickier, and at the same time, retailers have gotten bigger and bigger buying power and more consolidated, so that demand has trickled down to growers, and it's literally changed the way that we harvest in this country. Well, it does seem like that we do waste a lot. You've actually got statistics on how much. It's staggering. Yes, so originally we thought that 40% of food was wasted in the U.S., and recent studies just added to that number where they found that a third of all edible produce is not even harvested from farms. So it's even worse of a problem than we thought, and food waste as a total impact to the, to the world is the number three contributor to climate change, even over cars and cows. Number three, why? I mean, just from just the way we farm? So food produ- produces methane, which is 30 times stronger than carbon emissions. And because there's just so much of it being wasted, that goes straight up into our atmosphere. So if we eat it, it's, it is actually better for the environment. Yes. All right, so how can we eat it if it's lying on the ground? How do you get it to where it should be uh, without it sp- Boiling. So that's what Full Harvest is solving as the first B2B marketplace for imperfect and surplus produce. So we actually help incentivize growers to easily offload that product because they didn't have an easy way to sell it. And so now they can, within minutes, um, help sell that product directly to food and beverage companies that don't need to care what produce looks like and put it into things like beverages, snacks, soups. Well, uh, I know when I was in uh, Europe recently, the, the French, for instance, they don't seem to mind ugly food. We can conceivably adopt that attitude. I know, I know Kroger's done it in a bunch of places, and millennials at least are willing to buy ugly food. Yeah, that's a trend that just started in the last few years, right. thankfully, because it's really important as food waste is such a huge problem. The sooner that consumers realize that ugly produce is just as delicious as perfect-looking produce— and we're excited about the fact we're creating snacks with some large food and beverage companies that will contain our full harvest rescued vegetables in it. So that's another way that consumers can actually impact and make a difference by purchasing. All right, so let me posit something. Uh, if we had such a thing as shame, mm-hmm. if there was shame, mm-hmm. we would say shame on America. Mm-hmm. You should eat stuff that doesn't look perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, your for-profit company, which is uh, private VC-backed, would do poorly if we were shamed. You are making a bet that we're never going to get it in this country, are we? (laughs) Well, what we're trying to say to food and beverage companies is that we are doing all the heavy lifting and solving the problem for them, but we can't solve the problem without their buying power. So 
in that way, there's a huge opportunity for them to simply purchase through us and solve the problem. And so, in a way, we're not shaming them, but saying, we're making it super easy for you. So it's up to you now if you want to actually help the problem. But you gave us some staggering statistics about waste. How big is the real uh, merchandise value of what you're doing? M- meaning, uh, without more awareness, uh, can, it, can, can it grow? Or do we just have to, you have to get the word out and do missionary work as a company? Yeah, so that is part of what we do is awareness, but we provide huge value to businesses as well, both farms and buyers. So we help both with their bottom line where farms get incremental revenue and buyers save money and save on their bottom line across the board. So that is what's really helping also us scale as a business. Can you give us, a say, a percentage of how much a, a farmer might make more with you and how much a, a, a processor, I guess, would or a food store would, would save? Sure. So with farms, we've found in case studies that we've actually been able to increase their yield by up to 30% and their profit by 12% per acre, which is massive right now when most farms in this country are on the verge of bankruptcy. And then on the buyer side, uh, we've been able to save up to 10 to 30% off on their produce. And who are the wise buy- some of the wise buyers who would take advantage of that? Um, some of the ones that we can share yes. are companies uh, like Urban Remedy. Uh, that are um, growing and expanding nationally. They're, they were one of our first customers, and we've saved 2 million pounds of produce from going to waste wow. by them using us in their beverages. Um, Vive Organic is an amazing uh, healthy shot company um, that's scaling large throughout the country. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're scaling into new well, consumer types I as well. I think some of these companies ought to take a look at themselves in the mirror and realize yeah. <laughs> that this is the way to go. Yeah, you do a great thing. Thank I hope you so make much. a lot of money. Thank you so much. That is Christine Mosley, CEO of Full Harvest, private company doing the right thing. Stick with Craig. All day today, we heard about a criminal probe of drug companies involving opioids. Do you know that this was actually reported before and it was not new news? I know it drove them down for a little bit, but you have to understand, I've read it. I've seen it before. No new news. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.